Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. Thank you for joining us today. We've got another good episode for you here. I have a guest joining me once again. His name is Ben Varnado. Ben is currently living in Texas, but as you'll find out, uh, he's been all over uh, the U.S. at various locations, different shops. Ben wanted to join me on the show today to tell his story uh, of being a technician. And this is really start to present, I wouldn't say finish, but present. And he took a very uh, winding road to get to where he is now. And the reason he wanted to share this is maybe for someone who's younger or uh, maybe someone who doesn't really know what direction they're headed or where they're going to end up in this industry. Uh, Ben's story kind of shows that if you stick with it, uh, you keep after it, uh, you stay passionate about what you're doing, uh, you know, things can end up way better than you uh, would ever expect. So um, that's what we're going to be talking about today. I enjoyed this conversation quite a bit. So get ready for a good story. Let's jump in. Well, I actually just finished up listening to your interview with Cody. And um, oh, okay. I've, I've actually met Cody. So I was like, oh, that's oh, so cool. cool to hear. Um, I ordered one of his first generation Delta Pulse sensors a second generation Delta Pulse sensors and actually gave one of my extra ones away to a fellow technician. Nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah those are super handy to have. What, uh, I, you might've told me last week, what kind of scope do you have? I have the snap on modus. Um, and I also have the U scope and I have the Altel four channel. Okay. How's so that, how's that Autel one work? I've heard good things about it, but I've never actually used one myself. It's an older one. It works good, but the leads suck on it. So if if you're going to get one, I highly suggest investing in good leads. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, The leads, I think the first time I played with it, I was like, how are you going to make sense of anything? Because it was just picking up so much noise. Mm. And um, I ended up getting new leads for it. And it, it made a difference. It's not a bad scope for 300 bucks. Um, but honestly, I grew up on the snap on, so I tend to just go back to the snap on. It's, it's, I don't know. It's second nature to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you're, that's what you're used to. I mean, that, that totally makes sense. I think most of us just (laughs) gravitate towards what we're familiar with. I mean, yeah, for me, it's not the snap on. I've used the snap on one, but only after. I got familiar with other scopes, so it that's foreign to me to have to. What, what is it? To snap on you. <laughs> you. You zoom in, and then you, after the capture, you zoom out. Is that how right. it works? Yeah, you cut the time base short, and then you zoom. Then you go to the zoom feature, and then you go back in to relook at it. It's 
Yeah, I, I don't know who the guy was that designed it, um, but <laughs> apparently he liked to go around his elbow twice before getting to his shoulder. I mean, <laughs> it's the best way I can describe it. Um, yeah, when I explain it to new to newer users, I'm like, hey, if you're not trying to actually catch the fault and physically watch it at that moment happen, just set the time base from like 50 milliseconds and and then turn right back around pause it then zoom i mean it's you can go through and pick out things that way i mean even though i'm doing like say relative compression on like a 200 millisecond sweep i will Mm -hmm. still run it on a 50 millisecond hit hit pause and then zoom and go back that way because then i can just kind of move around and see what i want to see um, I'm not actually looking for the fault. Very rarely with a scope am I actually, unless it's like an ABS sensor or something like that, very rarely am I actually trying to catch the fault live. So I guess in a, I guess in a way, I guess it would be kind of a good beginner scope because you just put it on a really quick time base, like a really short time base and go look back at it later, you know? But yeah. I think the only times that I really do that is if, you know, I'm tied into a wire and I think there might be like a bad connection. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll watch it and I, as I wiggle a harness or mm-hmm. the other thing would be secondary ignition. But even on secondary ignition, so if I'm using the Pico, mm-hmm. I almost want to be zoomed in on the event and watch it. Well, so it, it, I would, like what it would be the opposite there. Well, like what a lot of guys say with the ATS, they just kind of let it run and then they go back and look and look for it. Um, and I kind of, I'm looking into a new four channel scope and I keep going back and forth between the Pico and the ATS. My only fear with the Pico is sometimes when I start to go down the rabbit hole, I don't notice the stop sign and... <laughs> Forgetting to grab an attenuator. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That's well, that's the, my fear. The nice part there is is there's less and less uh direct coils anymore, <laughs> right? The, the two wire coils. They're out there, but they're becoming less and less. So not that you couldn't ruin the scope if you wanted <laughs> to, but <laughs> it, it's less likely to do it. Um yeah, I'm I'm a Pico guy. I, okay, so I've never used an ATS. Okay, so take that into consideration. But the interface, based on what I've seen from like screenshots and mm-hmm. stuff, looks really uh, cumbersome. Like there's just there's a lot going on yes. that you have to understand. Um, and again, it's like whatever you're familiar with and you get used to. It's probably I, I'm sure it's a great scope, but for me, I just like you said, you go go to what you're used to. Yeah. I like the Pico. I, I know that. And um, I'm, th- I'm hesitant to go to Pico 7. I'm on Pico 6 and yeah. I've tried 7. I'm like, oh, this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have both softwares downloaded and I keep playing with the demos to see like, mm-hmm. okay, which one's second nature. But I will say to me, the ATS almost feels like driving a Corvette with traction control off. <laughs> it's, it's more <laughs> sure. fun, but it feels like Okay, yeah, this is you're giving me too many options and too much to play with. Like, okay, uh, I, I 
try and describe things to people. I'm like, okay, you can drive a Corvette with the traction control on, and it's pretty fun. <laughs> and then you can turn it off and get in trouble. But it's still more fun. But um, that's to me, that's almost the way I kind of base the Pico versus the ATS. The Pico, get, get, to me, the Pico is really nice. I like it. My only drawback is that fear of I'm going to get in a hurry and forget to grab that attenuator. But I'm actually glad you bring that point up because I, I hadn't thought about that. That yes, we are actually seeing less of the of the two wire coils. The only thing I have to worry about yeah. is a fuel injector doing a kickback. But even then, right. not so much. I, I honestly, I've done plenty of just just regular like the multi-port mm-hmm. uh, you know 12 volt injectors not the gdi stuff but i've done plenty of those with with no attenuator on it and the i have the 44 25 mm-hmm. it's the the one before the the newest one <laughs> the, new, the no battery um, kit <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i i have a, a box of nine volt batteries in my <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and that thing's pretty durable uh, for for injectors, uh, as at least my experience, I maybe I'm not recommending anybody go fry their yeah. uh, fry their pico. But <laughs> well, I tell you the um, the number one test I do with my scope all the time is actually starting and charging systems test. Um, I, I remember one of the instructors uh made the comment that the battery is the foundation to all diagnostics because without electricity. Without a good foundation, you really shouldn't go much farther without taking care of that problem first. And it's also a great test with younger guys to get them comfortable with a scope. And even with a two-channel modus, I'm pointing out to them that I'm doing a starting, I'm doing a battery test, a starter test, and an AC ripple alternator test all in one shot with two leads. Period. End of story. Sure. And and actually the one I've diagnosed the most, um, I'd say charging systems on, it doesn't ever happen in the first five minutes. It's usually okay. all the loads, you know, the rear defrogger, the seat heaters and all that on. And after five minutes, if it's going to fail, that's when it's going to fail. And sure. before I got to Colorado, I'd never thought about running a test like that. And the, because growing up in Georgia, it's like, okay, Rear defroster, seat heaters. What are seat heaters? And <laughs> But to actually think about, okay, people drive for 30 minutes, an hour with these loads on. And mm-hmm. so I've actually got to the point where a lot of my starting and charging systems test, they're easily 10 minutes. Um, you know, unless something just yeah. jumps out like a bad battery immediately. But my alternator test used to take 10 15 minutes minimum to start out with. And yeah, you got to stress that thing yeah. under the circumstances that it normally would be. And, and right. I know a lot of us, including myself, forget that sometimes. Like it's not always just a static issue. You got to, mm-hmm. you got to go drive that thing. Well, and rem- <laughs> Do what the customer does. Old, um, I remember some of my um, former uh, employers I worked for were old school guys. And they used to talk to me about full fielding alternators and sure. <laughs> yeah, good luck on full fielding an alternator nowadays. Um, so <laughs> what's the best way to stress it? Turn every load on possible. And you know what? Your customer will never put more loads on it than you can put on it. So that's, that's just kind of the way I look at it. 
I remember going through tech school and I don't, I think it might've been a Ford. I, it's a long time ago, but there was an alternator. You could take a screwdriver, go in through like a hole in the back of the alternator and you ground out the terminal, I think to the body of the alternator, there's some pin in there and it would fulfill the alternator. Oh, that's wow. how you, that's how you did it. Cause I remember hearing that. And then I don't know that I ever did it out in the field because it, it, they were all computer controlled right. by the time I got out there. So. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting, too, because I remember sitting in a CTI class and the instructor telling us um, when test when testing a Volkswagen Jetta alternator, do not get it above 2,500 RPMs because it self-excites. And I'm going... Oh, a 1.8 liter turbocharged Volkswagen Jetta. Do not get it above 2,500 RPMs. Okay, what you're telling me is push it then. <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty interesting. And um, over the years, I've learned some pretty cool, some pretty cool things. But that's one of the things I like to teach to younger guys. You know, hey, if you're just wanting to get used to and getting comfortable with the scope, man, start with a starting and charging systems test. You're not going to hurt anything. It just kind of gets you comfortable. You're not necessarily, as Brandon says, picking the fly poop out the pepper. Um, (laughs) You're just looking at the numbers. And so it's it's a good thing. Um, The the scopes are a great thing for um, people that are starting out with this. Because it's a visual representation mm-hmm. of what's going on, right? We can't see electrons and voltage and current right. resistance. We have to imagine it, but that gives us a graph. It gives us a picture. Um, and for me anyways, that visual really helps me understand or at least attempt to understand what's going on in that circuit. So um, yeah, for something as simple as a charging test or starting or whatever, it's it's great stuff. Um, we, we use them at the school for that reason. Right. And I tell them, you may not use a scope every day. You might not. I should, I think you should, but you might not. Mm-hmm. This will still help you understand what we're doing. But there was a, there was a wonderful snap on instructor about five years ago that put on a scope class. And he, um, one of the comments he made in the class was, um, return on investment of tools. And the question he posed to everybody in the class was, what is your most used tool? And, of course, guys kind of wanted to be the smart guy in the class and say their brain. And he's like, no, 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 I want a physical tool. And uh, one, of the, one of my responses was my pocket screwdriver. And he was like, okay, pocket screwdriver. And then one of the guys mentioned a flashlight. And it kept going and on. And um, basically he said, so those of you that bought five and $10,000 sco- um, scanners with scopes, how much do y'all use them? And most people, I think we kind of figured up it was like 10% out of a day. And he said, so let me get this straight. You bought a $10,000 tool and you use it 10% of the day, but yet you have a $200 flashlight and you use it 70% of the day. Tell me what is wrong with this return on investment. And his the point behind it was is figure out how to use your scanner more so that you get a good return on investment. And honestly, I mean, I have a fluke. I still use it, but yeah, a lot of times I go for that modus and I can use it as a meter. I can use it as a scope. And once I started thinking about that, people started making the comment. They're like, every time we see you, we see you with a scope. <laughs> I'm like, pretty much, 
Pretty much. I mean, I spent $5,000, $6,000 on that Snap-on Modus Ultra. You better believe I'm going to get my money out of it. So, (laughs) Yeah. The the U-Scope is the one that I grab all the time, right? And it's a little different for me because if I'm doing the mobile stuff, I don't have a cart that I can put the Pico on. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a little bit of work for me to pull it out in certain things. It's necessary if I'm doing a cam crank or I really need some detail. It's a, it's a Pico all day long, but 90% of my scope stuff is that is that U scope. I use that in place of my voltmeter mm-hmm. and for so many things that I do. So I mean that's that's one tool that I, I've said it plenty of times before. Maybe people are tired of hearing it, but everyone should own one for 160 bucks. I um, it's I bought the U scope master kit and. Um- I, okay. I've got it. It's, I guess kind of like we were discussing it, it whatever feels comfortable for you. So mm-hmm. I can grab that snap on scope and just go, go, go. And um, it, with it being a touch screen, it just gets me through there so quickly. Um, I need to play with my U scope more. I really do. I mean, it fits perfectly in your pocket, but um, it seems like I just, if I need to grab the scope, I just, I grab that snap on, I go for it. Um, now I am not a product placement nor endorsing snap on, but it just, it works for me. It's the comfortable tennis shoe theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, on that note, mm-hmm. going with what you were saying there, you had a story, uh, to tell everybody, um, that you wanted to share. You reached out to me. Um, and I think it's definitely worth, uh, worth telling. Um, uh, before we get into it, though, I, I, I'm just curious, and I'm sure the listeners are as well. Why did you want to share your story, uh, or maybe who are you intending this uh, to benefit? Well, now that I've turned 40 years old, I'm looking back at my career to see how can I help the younger guys coming up. Um, we keep talking about how there's a shortage of technicians in the industry, and I've seen where shops have just not necessarily nurtured technicians. And my story is a very twisted route to get to where I am. Am I the best in the industry? Absolutely not. Um, I can give you at least 10 names I see on YouTube that I'm not sure if I can make a ham sandwich for them. But I have been very successful in my career. Um, I'm happy at where I'm at in my career And hopefully my mindset that I can give to them will maybe motivate them to stick with it, stick with the road and keep going in their career. Um, As we discussed already, I mean, I took a very roundabout method, probably the last predicted person to go into the automotive mechanical trade. Um, But I don't regret it. Not one bit. Um, If my six-year-old son said, Dad, I want to follow in your footsteps. I know a hundred technicians that would say, I would never tell my son to follow me. I'm not one of those. I would tell my son. I would show my son what, you know, this is what I've done. How can you be better than me? And that's what I'd like for these technicians to be. I'd love to see my favorite thing I see in life is when I see a 28-year-old technician that's better than me. <laughs> I love it. It's the it's my favorite thing, and I like to nurture and see younger technicians come up. Um, I don't know what kind of legacy I'll leave 
when all this is said and done. But if I can pass on what I know to one technician, then I've done my job. If I can pass it on to 10, then I've done my job 10 times over. And if I can motivate 100 technicians, then I've done my job 100 times over. Um, so that's kind of, that's my thought behind it. And that's why I would like to tell my story of how I came up in the industry. Um, it was actually a funny part. We had a technician uh, have an accident the other day at work and uh, he damaged a car. And the very first thing I did was I went to him and I told him, look, I've made plenty of mistakes in my career. I've tore up things. Don't let this stop you. Don't, you know, let it go. The boss isn't mad. Yeah. Just learning lesson and move on. So that's kind of what I would like my story to do to be to these, to some of the younger technicians is let my lesson, let my life be a learning lesson and listen and, and take it and motivate you with it. Well, um, where do we start? Okay. Well, let's, let's start at the ground. I was uh, born in 1980. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We won't start that far back. <laughs> um, I actually started working in an auto repair shop in November of 1996, uh, one month after I turned 16. Um, I was the full service gas pump boy. Um, the little bell would go off and I would go running out there and pump the old lady's sure. gas, check her, check her tire pressures, make sure fluids were full. Um, about 1998, while I was still in high school, which was a very well-to-do private school in Savannah, Georgia, um, the we had the OSHA and the EPA come out and tell us we needed to get update our gas tanks. And at that point, the employ- my employer said, I'm not going to update them. It's too much money. So I had to learn something. And they started showing me flat repairs and oil changes. So that kept me working. And it was a good thing. Um, I enjoyed working around the older guys. Um, it was fun. It, working on cars was cool at the time. <laughs> Looking back on that now. But <laughs> um, so, I did, so that's what I was doing through high school. Now, the high school I went to, the rule of thumb was you graduated high school, you went to college, you got a degree, you got married, you had kids, and then you died. No. That was how life worked. Um, most of the people I graduated with went on to be doctors and lawyers and very well-known professions. I graduated towards the bottom of my class. I was in the bottom 10% of my class. I barely passed high school. I just didn't enjoy school. Um, but I kept working in my auto repair shop, and it was fun. It was cool. I got to fix tires. <laughs> and I was going to... So I followed the pathway and went to college and both my parents were RNs. They were nurses. And one of the things that fascinated me was meeting some anesthesiologists. They're doctors. They put people to sleep during surgery. And it was kind of neat. During high school, I got to go for one week in the operating rooms and observe what they do. And it was fascinating um, getting to see them put somebody to sleep while they did remove the cancerous prostate from well, two surgeons did remove the cancerous prostate. I mean, that to me was the coolest thing in the world to see. It kind of reminded me of somebody working on a car, but it was a human being. But <laughs> but it was neat. That's what I wanted to do. And um, I'm working in the shop after hours, you know, after school's out, and 
things are going good. I'm doing okay. And I go to, I graduate bottom of my, towards the end of my, bottom of my class. And I go to college. Well, one of the things my parents told me was go get your nursing degree. That way, if you don't get in med school on the first try, you've at least got a career to fall back on. Okay. So I start going to nursing school while I'm still working in the auto repair shop. And I got to the point where we started doing clinicals. And when it came to start sticking people with needles, I realized really quickly I had a phobia of needles. Oh, no. <laughs> the I'll never forget the, the first live person I went to draw blood on was a very nice old man. And... I immediately started pouring sweat and shaking <laughs> and I missed it on the first try. I missed it on the second try. <laughs> and once you miss on the second try, you're done. They, they move you out of the way and somebody else comes in. And yeah. he, um, I just remember him telling me, uh, in such a nice way going, don't worry, you'll get better one day. And I'm thinking, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm done. Um, so, at that point, I was like, okay, I'm not doing I can't do this. I mean, that's the basics of doing your job, and I can't do it. So yeah. I gave up on college. I was done. And um, my boss that I worked for, super nice guy, still worked at the same little three-bay repair shop that was built in the 1950s. Um, everybody knew everybody. So I just went back to work for him. And... He, he took me on full time and I was probably the smartest or I should say the dumbest smart kid there ever was. Um, I was the mouthiest 20 year old there ever was. Um, I didn't, everybody in the shop was old. I didn't need to listen to them. You know, you're not going to teach me nothing. I know everything. And come to find out looking back in life, I really didn't know nothing, but that was my, my attitude. Um, I actually left there, went and worked in a bicycle shop for a little while. Um, okay. I did go off to Oregon to a bicycle school to learn how to run a bicycle shop. Um, oh, wow. I learned a lot about building race, racing mountain bikes cause I enjoyed cycling at the time I was racing mountain bikes and things like that. And I learned real quickly that working in a business that is a hobby um, the only people that really make money in that are the people that own the business. And okay. I didn't see myself going in that route. So I went back to my old shop. <laughs> As I always say, the comfortable tennis shoes analogy. Um, it just fits. And um, I worked there until about 2003 or 2004. And okay. I mean... He was paying me cash under the table on Tuesday. By Wednesday morning, I was broke because I had been in the bar all night. Um, <laughs> it just—it was a never-ending cycle, and uh, yeah, it, I just—I mean, I was great at partying. I never lost a party in my life. Um, <laughs> I could tell you what drink specials were any night of the week and where to go, but I was—I yeah. wasn't getting anywhere. And I remember I went to him and. I was dating a girl at the time and I asked him for a raise and I actually spoke with him the other day to tell him about this story. And his comment to me was, 
I was I offered you the raise if you came in on time. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I remember you telling me you weren't going to put any effort into me. And I said, I don't blame you. I, I look back in life and I don't blame you at all for not putting any effort into me. Um, I was a mouthy 20 year old that knew nothing but knew everything. And I couldn't get to work on time. Um, so it, I, I don't blame him not wanting to give me a raise. And uh, I ended up. He didn't. He didn't want to invest anything. No, in. and I don't blame him. I mean, really, yeah. if I was an employer, I, I w- and I've told him this to his face. I said, if I was my employer, I would have fired me five times at least. But the one nice thing I will say about him was he was patient with me. And okay, that's the, the first job. The first mechanical job I had there was the one I told you I messed up. Um, I was doing a headlight on a mid eighties truck and he told me hey it's just three screws and i pulled out the three adjuster screws <laughs> i learned how to aim headlights um <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he was a very patient guy and i understood that and i can say i probably took him took advantage of the situation i shouldn't have but i ended up leaving and i went to a large company in savannah that they had 10 shops at the time and each one of these shops was probably about 10 bays at the time. So very okay. large shop, what I call a local chain. Um, and how old are you at this point? I was 25 years old. Um, okay. Are you still living with your parents? I was still, I was or? bouncing back and forth between living with roommates and going back to my parents and things like that. Okay. Uh, I, I'm just curious, what was their... Um, uh, attitude or did they voice their opinion at all? Cause I, I know you said they were nurses and then you shifted away from that. What did they, how did they feel about that? Disappointment. Okay. Disappointment because they saw that I had apathy and empathy towards people. And they were like, you would have yeah. made a great doctor or a great nurse. And they were kind of looking at, they were also looking at the fact that we spent that much money on college and tuition and you just kind of threw it away. Um, okay. so they were very disappointed. Um, okay. And they were kind of out of, I have two older brothers and they, with me being the youngest, it was kind of like, I'm their last hope. It, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. it didn't work. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. It didn't work. Um, okay. So I got hired. I went to for an interview at this company, and the first thing I had to do was be able to pass a drug test. So okay, so we got to take some weeks off so we can pass a drug test. <laughs> and um, and I'll never forget. I sat down and interviewed with a guy. I'll just call him DW. When he hears the podcast, he'll know who he is. Um, <laughs> he he was a store manager at the time. And he asked me, it was, I was going to go in for like an entry level tech job. And he said, no, we just want to hire you as a general service tech. And I said, okay, well, hey, I'll start at the bottom and work my way to the top. And he asked me, he said, what's your goal in life? And it kind of caught me off guard that he said that. And he asked me again, he said, what's your goal in life? And I said, well, my goal in life is if I can make $40,000 a year and I can have a double wide trailer and a used and be able to afford a used car, I'll have made it. 
I mean, I have, I've made it. And he laughed at me in my face. And, um, it, it, I kind of sat back in the chair, like, why is this guy laughing at me? And he's, he made the comment. He said, my lowest earning technician in this shop made 65,000 last year. My highest earning tech in the shop made a hundred thousand dollars last year. And at that point I realized I'd set my bar too low. And I was now about to be working for career money, not beer money. So I got hired on as a general service tech, and they ran the dog mess out of me. <laughs> um, the first day on our speed lane, we did over 40 oil changes. Um, so we were doing, I was going through as a general service tech, and for some reason, they saw something in me. And they sent me to what they called their general service level two school, which was basically learning how to do flushes and belts and hoses. And, and then they sent me to, into an apprenticeship under the hundred thousand dollar a year technician. And all he did was alignments, brakes, and some very light duty work and suspension work. And that's all he did. Cause it was mostly a tire shop. And I started to work under him and he took a liking to me and recommended that I went to, uh, they sent me to Hunter Alignment School in Atlanta, Georgia. So I went, I got to go to Hunter Alignment School and the little bit of that young, wild 20 year old came back because when I got back, I kind of rubbed it in his face that I had Hunter certificate and you don't. (laughs) And he humbled me really quickly on that first alignment <laughs> to teach me that experience outweighs any piece of paper ever. Um, but he took a, he took a liking to me. And when we weren't busy, the thing he made me start doing was they provided us with the ASE study sheet, study guides. And okay. he made me sit down and start reading them, doing the practice test. He would score the practice test and we would go over whatever questions I got wrong. Um, so he put a lot of effort into me. Um, and about that time, that girl I was dating, we got married and then we got divorced. And I kind of went into a little bit of a tailspin, but my mentor kind of tried to keep me on the right path. Um, I ended up getting two ASC certifications during that time. Um, so the company moved me up into a technician position, flat rate. Congratulations. It's time to play with the big boys. Um, they then transferred me to another location and it just did not work out. It just, I got underneath my mentor's wing and, you know, kind of like the little bird, they push him out the nest and (laughs) yeah, yeah, it didn't work out very well. So, I um I ended up leaving that company and going back to my original shop that I started out in. And that was probably around 2007. Um, I went back to that shop because I had something to prove. I didn't leave that first shop on bad terms, but I the man I was going back was, was a lot different than the man I was when I left. And I had something to prove. And I'll never forget that same guy. I'll just, I'll call him Tommy. He'll know who he is. Okay. He, um, 
as soon as he saw my toolboxes unloaded, he made the comment. He said, I can tell you're a different person because I can see it in your toolboxes. You're organized. You have your stuff together. Um, I started showing up to work on time. Um, I forgot who said it on one of the podcasts, just somebody that can show up and find their way to work. <laughs> I started, be- <laughs> yeah. I started being that guy. I could find my way to work. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I went back and I worked with him for a while and I met my current wife. Um, she was active duty in the army. She was an officer in the army. When I met her, she was a captain in the army um, and she was active duty and we had been dating for about a year. And I had been back at my old shop okay. about three years. I had bought a house, so I'd already passed my first goal. I owned a house, okay. an actual brick and mortar house, not one, nice. not a tr- not a double wide. Um, I met my wife, and we dated for about a year in Savannah, Georgia. And it came time for her reassignment, and they were moving her to Denver, Colorado, and. We just kind of looked at each other and said, you know, what do you want to do? And it kind of went back to my days of when I first started in that shop. I better figure out something to do or start all over again. And my this time, the start all over was go to Denver, Colorado with her. Yeah, I'd never moved out of the state of Georgia. Um, I packed up everything I owned. I packed up my toolboxes in a U-Haul trailer and moved halfway across the country to Denver, Colorado. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, Before I moved to Colorado, I'd already been conversating with an employer out there. Um, Okay. I found an employer that was hiring in Aurora, Colorado, and he was a Napa auto care facility. I saw his website that he, it was a generic Napa auto care facility like website that said they do tires, they do alignment, they do everything basically is what the, sure. what the, it's what the website says. And I was just a brake and suspension guy with a little bit of air conditioning experience. And I walked into that shop and come to find out they were a transmission shop. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> they didn't have an alignment machine. They didn't have a tire machine. Um, I was a fish out of water. Uh, come to find out what they did was they rebuilt transmissions, drive trains, and heavy diagnostics. And okay. Yeah. So I was way out of my league. Um, I worked there for about three weeks flat rate. And I went to the owner and said, I'm starving. I can't survive. Yeah. Um, and his, he, me and him, we sat down and he said, how much do you need to pay your bills? And I said, I need six, I need at least $550 a week to pay my bills. And mm-hmm. he, um, he goes, how about this? I'll give you $600 a week. You do anything and everything I ask you to do. And I guarantee you, you will have one of the best educations you've ever got. And I asked him why he was doing it. And he told me when he was in his 20s, he packed up every, he grew up in San Francisco, California, and he packed up everything he had and moved to Denver, Colorado to go to school. Um, I forgot the name of the school now, but he went to school out there to learn how to build transmissions. And that was how, that was how he got his start. Um, 
So his story and my story were very, very similar. And I think that's why he took a liking to me. Um, and he said, he's told me since then, he goes, I saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. Um, I always, I always think back to that to this day, because it seems like that's the, that's the theme is people keep seeing something in me. I don't see in myself. And I guess there's something out there. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's, that's huge to have somebody like that. Yeah. My mentor, my mentor said the same thing. DW said the same thing. Um, apparently they saw something I didn't see. So, um, he put in a lot of effort into me and, um, on a side note, my first Christmas I spent in Denver, um, I was going to spend it alone because my wife had to go home for a family emergency. And he was like, there's no way in hell you're spending Christmas by yourself. You're coming to my house. And I went to his house and spent Christmas with his family. Um, so they very much not only, um, not only supported me professionally, but they, they supported me personally too at the same time. Okay. Um, and yes, they put in, those guys that I worked with there, they put in a lot of effort into teaching me things. That was the first time I'd seen an oscilloscope outside of a magazine was working with those guys. Um, they were, okay. they were, this would have been 2009, 2010. They were doing pressure transducers in the combustion chamber. Wow. I mean, yeah, that's early, early. Yeah, it was early on. Um, I had never heard of it and it was amazing. Um, they sent me to CTI classes. Um, the first CTI class I ever went to, the instructor was Todd Doty. It was an electrical class, which I was horrible at, was electrical. And out of eight hours, two nights for four hours each. The only thing I learned in that class was if you don't like the reading that you're getting on your meter, move your ground. <laughs> Out of eight hours of an electrical class, that was all I learned. Because <laughs> the rest of it was like the deep end of a swimming pool. It was over my head. Um, so, yeah, that's what I learned. <laughs> they, well, I mean, it's good advice, right? <laughs> it's great advice. I still use it to this day. <laughs> Those guys put so much effort into me and in teaching me things, um, you know, between working on cars, cleaning the bathroom, sweeping the floor, taking out the trash. Those guys put so much effort into me that when eventually I started picking up 70 80% of what they were teaching in the CTI class. And the great thing about those guys was anything I didn't understand in the CTI class, I could go back and ask the guys I worked with and they would sit down and explain it to me to a point where I could understand it. Um, they broke out the oscilloscope. I got to learn about that. Um, I got to learn, nice. I got to learn pedal humps on a fuel injector. Um, <laughs> I got humbled by a few uh, diagnostics, uh, learning how to amp ramp fuel pumps, um, things like that. I still remember that one on that blazer. Um, <laughs> came back three times well, on the hook. <laughs> that's so cool, though, to be able to work with people like that, you know, that are older or more experienced combination of both than you. I Honestly... In a shop setting, I never got to experience that. Um, and, and not to say anything about myself, I just, the, 
all the older techs that I worked with at any shop, um, and, and some were definitely better than others, but they were that traditional flat rate guy. Let's bang these parts out. And you're lucky if you see them with a scan tool and a meter ever, right? Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of jealous of that experience to have a working relationship with somebody who's into that stuff that wants to get into the diagnostic side of it. Well, the first tip I give a lot of younger guys is the first thing you, the first tip I give them, if you want an older technician to actually teach you something, the very first thing you need to do is be quiet. The only, the only noise you need to make is when you're asking questions. Um, that was my first problem in my early twenties was I talked and didn't listen and the best thing that happened to me in my mid to late twenties was I stopped talking and I listened. Um, my, the gentleman I apprenticed under, I used to go get his lunch and people were like, why would you go pick up his lunch? The reason I picked up his lunch was he was teaching me attention to detail. Don't mess up my lunch order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a lesson i learned you know i didn't think about it. i was learning at the time but he's right you pay attention to details um the shop in denver i walked in there as a suspension and brake guy i could do i could do any job i needed to do in eight bolts eight bolts that's all i needed it's eight bolts anything more than eight i've taken off one or three too many um <laughs> it was amazing to me to see a guy take a transmission out of a car, take all the bolts that he used, throw them in the parts washer, and then disassemble a transmission and throw all those pieces in a parts washer and pull it all out and still be able to put it back together. I, it amazed me. I was shocked. I didn't know how it happened. It was magic in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Um, and what was the best lesson I actually learned was from that transmission builder. He would take every bolt that he used and run it through the parts washer. It came out clean. He would lay a rag out on his cart and lay every bolt matching up. And I asked him one day, I said, how do you know where those go? And he held up a bolt in his hand and he said, there was a guy with an eight year degree in engineering that designed this bolt to go in that hole. And that's how I know where that bolt goes. And that bolt only goes in that hole. And the lesson I learned out of that was actually looking at the design, the length, the shape, the style of the bolt, and knowing what its function was. I'm, sure. I had never thought about that. I mean, a bolt was a bolt. Every bolt's a bolt. If it's too long, put a couple of washers on it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> send it. Um Yep, yep. But those guys, I mean, that's how meticulous they were to detail. We had a hot seat. We hot seat. If it had a fluid leak, every it got hot seed from front to back. <laughs> I never knew that. I never understood the reasoning behind it. After I left, I understood that if there ever was a spot of fluid on the ground, you'd know exactly where it came from. Sure. And so th they were... If you walked in the shop, you wouldn't think it was meticulous for detail, but oh my Lord, those guys were meticulous for detail. And it was, that was the, a, a good lesson I learned from them. And, um, but as it goes when being married to the military, two years, it's time to move again. 
Okay. And this time, my wife got selected to go to grad school in downtown Chicago. And anybody that's familiar with Chicago will know she basically lived at the corner of Little Italy and the hospital district. Taylor and Ashland Street, which is, you can't get more downtown than that part of Chicago. Um, me being a boy from the country, um, it was a concrete jungle. Uh, I couldn't do downtown Chicago. We went from probably 2,200 square foot worth of house to 750 square foot apartment for the same price. Oh, wow. But the one lucky thing was is she was only five minutes from her family. So... We basically, I went and lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, while she went to school in Chicago, Illinois. It's only, okay. It, it's only five hours. It's not a big deal. She would go to school three or four days a week and then come stay with me on the weekends. And during the holidays, she'd get to see her parents, her uncles, her aunts, um, and things like that. But we start all over again. We go into a whole... Yeah. We... We go into a whole new town. We don't know anybody. We're going out hunting a job. And I went down. I found one highway in Mason, Ohio that had probably 20 or 30 auto repair shops. And I just went through there just dropping resumes. Um, I went to the shops that had the best customer reviews um, to see who had a good customer base and I went in those shops and just dropped resumes. Um, one shop I'll never forget. Before I even pulled out of the parking lot, I watched the lady ball up my resume and throw it in the trash can. I was like, wow, this is going to be fun. Jeez. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, and luckily, I, how old are you at this point? I was 32 years old. 31, okay. about to turn 32. Um, okay. I walked into a shop. And I gave him my resume, and he said, hey, I got your resume off of Craigslist already. I was meaning to call you. Do you got time to talk? And I said, I was like, sure, I got time to talk. A little small three-bay shop like I grew up in in Georgia. And um, he hired – he gave me a pretty decent wage. I was making about 700 maybe 750 a week. Um, I had two ASEs still. At the time, I just had my brakes and suspension ASC. Um, he was a shop that kind of did everything, but he didn't have a tire machine and didn't have an alignment machine. So I was like, here we go again. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'd, I had gotten kind of good at air conditioning, so that was going to help me out. And um, he took me in, and I was the young guy in the shop again, um, except we did have one younger guy who was about 23 at the time. And we were doing our thing. Now, as a person that grew up in the South, in Savannah, Georgia, we could take off any bolt with a little bit of PB blast and an impact, and it's going to come right off. <laughs> yeah. I learned all about the flame and wrench very quickly. <laughs> very, very quickly. Um, one of the first jobs I got was doing sway bar links on a vehicle and they saw me grab my impact and a pair of pliers and they laughed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They said, call me over in 30 minutes when you don't have it off. <laughs> and I'll show you how we do this. Now I was hourly at that shop. So he wasn't so okay. much pressuring us to turn a lot of hours. Um, he was like, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll make ends meet. And things will work out. And um, 
it kind of goes back to having a lot of support. Um, that's, that's huge in my career. I've had so much support from people. And um, that's another reason I wanted to tell my story was to give them thank you. But um, yeah, so I was working for him. I worked for him. Super amazing guy. I learned all about how to use a torch. Um, <laughs> I saw between it's a good skill to have, man. Uh, between two a between two technicians, I saw the big oxyacetylene torches get changed out three times in two years. Um, the only the worst part about that job was the 23 year old. Um, he'll hear the podcast. He'll know who he is. Um, the my boss sat down with me one day and asked me, he goes, I think I need to let him go. What do you, what is your thought on it? He's loud. He doesn't want to listen. He's not learning. He argued with me and two other technicians over a timing belt being half a tooth off. <laughs> Uh, yeah it was that bad and my comment to him was I think you need to let him go and he asked me my reasoning for it and I said he's just like me he'll be a better technician if you let him go he'll learn he'll go somewhere else and hopefully he'll learn to be quiet and Mm -hmm. that's exactly what happened to him Um, it's actually one of the greatest joys of my life is to see how much better how much better than me he has become. Um, so much so, about a year ago, I actually gave him one of my extra Cody sensors, as I like to call them. Oh, no kidding. He was he was doing one of the Brandon Steckler virtual classes, and I saw him. I told him about the class, and then he got in it. And okay. as a, uh, I won't say a thank you, but just to kind of pass something on to a younger technician, I had one of those extra Delta pressure sensors and I gave it, I gave him an extra one that I had. Nice. And yeah. Yeah. You, you just never know. Uh, and somebody told me this once I started teaching one or the other, my coworkers actually, and he was describing a story uh, of, you know, a younger person. He's like, you never know when these people, you know, technicians or just people in general are going to blossom mm-hmm. or the light bulb will go off. Right. Mm -hmm. And you may be convinced that, Oh, this person's hopeless or this isn't for them. And it might be, you might be right. Probably majority of the time, maybe you are, but you don't know. It might be a few years down the road and that light bulb goes off and all of a sudden, you know, it's like the person you're describing there. So I, I try to remind myself never just, uh, disregard someone, you know, they might just need the right, like you said, letting them go in that situation was the best thing for them, but they might just need that right thing or that right support in order to get there. And the thing with the thing with him was he's very smart. He's very intelligent. He's very analytical. He's very numbers driven. He was very, he was a very smart 23 year old, but the problem Mm -hmm. was, is he was too smart at that time. He didn't. He was too smart to realize he just needed to sh- to be quiet and listen. Which mm-hmm. I saw him. I saw myself in him. And yeah, he is. He's called me now with some just nightmares. Like I'm like, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he called me one day where he was chasing a short on an ambulance, and I'm like, man, how do you know? Are you pinning into a DC or an AC circuit? Like. 
<laughs> and um, he's actually went on to become very good. He went on to a – he called me about going to work in a Euro shop. He went and worked in a Euro shop, and now he is actually um, pretty much – a diagnostic guy in a body shop. So when, a lot of times when he calls me, I don't have the service information to give him. Um, yeah. I just, I'm giving him what I know off of common sense and maybe pointing him in a direction to get the information, but I don't have it. I mean, so in my book, he's past me. Um, and it it makes me happy. I mean, it's one of the few it's one of yeah. the few things left in this industry. It makes me smile. Um, <laughs> it, between seeing younger technicians, like helping them along the way, and seeing them become better than me, and fixing that problem vehicle that's been to three other shops that they couldn't figure it out, and I figured it out. Those are my two greatest joys left in in this industry. Um. So yeah, he's doing great. I'm so proud of him. He's it's awesome. It just makes me smile anytime I think about him. Um, so he's doing good. And but I did my two years there, and sure, okay, sure enough, here it goes. It's time to move again. And at this point, we're expecting our first. Me and my wife are expecting our first child. And I called my mentor to kind of give him the good news and. I will say the pep talk he gave me was not the pep talk I was expecting. The pep talk he gave me was, look, you've learned a lot. You now, I now had six ASEs at that time. Um, okay. So I've worked my way up. I'm now a diagnost- I'm now diagnosing cars. I'm doing electrical. Um, and my mentor's comment to me was, look, you've got a kid on the way. It's time to quit playing around and it's time to support your family. So all those years that I had of taking less pay but learning, now we need to put them into practice. And I got to Fort Hood, Texas. And um, Fort Colleen, Texas is a pure military town. Um, I went into an environment where I didn't know anybody. I didn't know any shops. Here we go. We're starting all over again. <laughs> yeah. I used my same formula. I started looking at shops to see who had the best reviews. Um, and those were the people I went and dropped resumes at. Um, I went to a shop. I worked there for about a, about six months, maybe. And I just saw nothing but red flags. Um, and um, I saw a technician get hurt. And I... I tried to take on the job so nobody else would get hurt. And at that point I realized I'm, I'm, this is not the place I need to be. So I left that shop. I went and worked at another shop. <laughs> um, that, God, that was a comedy of a shop. Um, <laughs> he had two racks. We had two technicians. I asked him, do you plan on getting any more racks? You've got all this room. And he said, no, <laughs> So my comment back to him was, well, why am I only making this much money? If I'm going to work on the ground, I could work at home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're, you really, in that point, he really wasn't providing anything to me that I couldn't provide for myself. They weren't providing training. They weren't providing equipment. 
literally the only thing they were providing was a paycheck and it wasn't much of one either. Um, so I left that shop and I went to another shop and it didn't work out of that shop either. And by now I'm sitting here thinking, wow, before I got to Texas, I had worked at four shops in my whole career. Yeah. By 2014, I had only worked in four shops, 20, 2014, 2016. I'd only, yeah, 2014, I'd only worked in four shops. And here I am, I've now jumped through three shops in two years. Oh, wow. I was like, wow, my resume is going to look stellar. Um, and I went to work for another shop, and it just it did not work out there either. And I took a gamble and started saying, you know, it's only 45 minutes to North Austin. Texas. Why don't I start making the drive? And I got hired on with a shop in North Austin. I don't, I don't know if I should mention the names. Don't mention shop names. Uh, it's up to you. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. I, okay. <laughs> I don't know any shops down there. <laughs> I've got no problem mentioning the name. Um, I went to go, okay. I went to go work for Christian Brothers. Okay. Um, every shop I'd left in Colleen, Texas, I, they had called me a lead tech, which really made me laugh because I had 10 guys on my cell phone that were way smarter than I am. And I walked into Christian Brothers and I was quickly told, you're not the lead tech, which I was okay with that. Um, I was getting, I got offered more than I was making. So that was a positive. And it didn't take me very long to see the lead tech and realized I didn't know nothing compared to this guy. Um, he he diagnosed a lot by common sense. He beat uh, Ohm's law into my head, um, and it was a very positive thing getting to work with him. Um, I worked for them for about seven months. I put my two month notice in because it was time to move again, and I got let go when I put him about a week after I put my two month notice in. But. I look back, I got to learn about programming, which I had never done before. Okay. I took on a lot more jobs than I had ever taken on before. Um, I got to work with a different clientele, so I got to work with higher-end cars than I had ever worked with because the demographic in that area was a lot higher. Um, I got to go back to working with standard operating procedures, which I work well with those. And... I also got to work in a very clean environment, which I thrive in clean environments. I learned that. It makes more of a difference than some people think, right? Uh, you know, I, I always used to get that from my boss. Like, you'll work, you'll be more proficient in the shops clean. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. It's, it's very, <laughs> he was right. It's very true. You take, you take, I personally would start to take more pride in what I worked on. Um, you know, I felt better about people coming to my shop and seeing me because it's kind of like you walking into a dirty house. It's You kind of look at the house and you're like, wow, you know, did the people just not clean up around here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it makes you kind of wonder. Now, granted, I've seen some very dirty, nasty shops turn out some amazing product. I will not say anything otherwise, but... It felt good to work in a clean environment. It felt good to work with standard operating procedures. It, wor it worked good for me. We got to go from doing stuff on paper to using tablets, um, digital vehicle inspections. I can take pictures of what's wrong with the vehicle. 
Um, I had a laptop at my toolbox. No more, nice. no more fighting the technician because I need to look up service information. I've got service information. Um, so it was, it was a good positive thing. But being still married to active duty military, it came time to move again and pack it all up. The only benefit was she was getting reassigned to Fort Stewart, Georgia, which was back in my hometown of Savannah. And we were getting to go home again. And first person I called was my good old comfortable shoes, my old shop that I grew up in. And it was kind of a, one of those situations of let me go back and show him what I've become now. Like He saw me in my early days. He saw me leave. He saw me come back. Now he's getting to see who I am now. And when I came back, I came back as I still had my six ASCs at the time. And at the time I was 38 years old, 37, okay. about 37, 38 years old. So this would have been 2017. And how long since you had worked there the last time? It had been at least eight years. Okay. Other than just stopping in while I was in town and giving them a hand or them making a phone call and I'm helping them out over the phone. I mean, I physically had not worked there full time for many, many years. Um, so I go back into that shop and of course nothing's changed. It's still the same as it was. But now he was getting to see a slightly different mindset. He was getting to see a guy that had been working flat rate now come back into a shop where everybody was salary. And I still had the flat rate mentality. I still had the hustle. I still had the go and I still had the work ethic. And now I had two kids. I had to support them. You know, I had a wife, two kids. I've got, I got to do what I got to do. And I busted my butt there for quite a while. But then me and the service manager, we had some conflict and we just could not work through it. And I ended up leaving and going to another shop. Um, this other shop I was going to, it was a position that I thought I was going to go to as a diagnostic tech, but he was looking to me more or less as just pure labor. He just needed a guy to actually do work. And okay. I, I felt like that was kind of a step back in my career. Here I was doing diagnostic work and doing electrical and enjoying it. I went to Super Saturday, loved it. Um, so my career was going in one path. He wanted my career to go into another path, and it just didn't work out. And um, I ended up leaving that shop. And the whole time, this is when COVID flared up. Okay. My wife is active duty military, and what not a lot of people know unless they're married to a soldier is when your spouse is active duty military, they don't come home when the kids are sick. They don't, you know, they don't stay home when the kids are sick. They, you know, when daycare started closing early, it wasn't an option for her to get off early. It, it was me and being, yeah. being in that position in this industry, it made it tough. Um, it made it really tough. Um, trying to negotiate that situation out. And um, that was part of the riff that happened with that second shot. And, um, but it actually was a positive thing that it happened because 
my mentor was working at a shop and he put in a good word for me. And the person he put in the good word for me was good old DW that hired me in my early days. Okay. Okay. So now DW is now working for a new company, a large company in Savannah, and I'm getting to work with him and I'm getting to work with my mentor. So here we are again, proving, look at me now. And when I say look at me now, I don't mean that in a boastful way, but I wanted to give thanks to those folks that put the effort into me and say, hey, look, you guys started this spark. Now let's, now I want you guys to see the fire it became. Um, yeah. So I got to work with my mentor. I got to work with the guy that hired me originally that laughed in my face for the $40,000 goal in life. <laughs> and yeah. I'm making a lot more than $40,000 a year. So he was, they were so happy to see where I had taken my career since, since that, since they had last seen me really. Um, it was nice getting to work with my mentor again. Um, because you know, I was, it was like being back in the nest again, I guess. Sure. And it was comfortable. And I went in there and I was just a diag guy. All I did was diagnose cars, check cars out. Basically, every car I checked out, any labor that needed to be done, it went to three other technicians. Got split between three other guys. And that's all I, okay. that's all I did. I, I had my ASE master at that point, which they offered to reimburse me, but... I didn't, I didn't give it to him because I wanted, I wanted to own that myself. <laughs> so they sent me to my first ATG classes. Um, okay. Any kind of training I needed, any kind of support I needed, they paid for it. They, they wanted, they would take care of it. And I got great training. Um, they were going to pay for me to go to super Saturday when COVID canceled that. So darn, that didn't work out. <laughs> um, same way with Florida Foundations. I'm not, are you familiar with what the ASA Florida Foundations event in Daytona? Uh, I think I've heard of it, but I wouldn't say I'm super familiar with what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing. Um, it's a small training event that takes place at the Daytona Motor Speedway. I got to go to it one year. Um, I'm looking forward. Is Mario down at that one. Mario was at that one. Brand, okay. Brandon was at that one. Um, Bryn Klein is one of the guys that helps organize it. Uh, gotcha. Ben Jamison was there. A couple of people were there. Um, which I do have a funny story about Super Saturday, but we'll go back to that. Um, okay. <laughs> so I worked for them for, I worked for them for almost a year and my wife got medically retired out of the army and it came time to, I won't say decide what we're going to do next, but kind of decide what we're going to do next. And she got a good job offer back here right outside of Fort Hood, which Fort Hood is about 45 minutes north of Austin, Texas. Okay. I learned in my career that to get the best pay, I need to be in the bigger cities. Yep. So I reached out to some of my friends that I still had here and lo and behold, they contacted me and Christian brothers was interested in me again. It wasn't the Christian brothers. I left. It was a different Christian brothers location. And that's who I work for now. I'm very happy with them. Um, I wish they weren't flat rate because I don't like flat rate, but 
they have the workflow, they have the efficiency that flat rate works. It works at that location. Um, okay. Would I love to see flat rate go away? Absolutely. Um, but I just actually was in a conversation the other day that basically I'm going to become the diet guy at that shop. And nice. That's a good thing. I enjoy doing the programming. I'm enjoying the, doing the diagnostics. Um, at 40 years old, I don't like to beat my body up anymore. I don't like to swing hammers on ball joints. <laughs> yeah. Um, can I do it? Yes. Um, do I enjoy doing it? Not so much anymore. Um, it takes a toll on you. It does. It adds up over time. I look at my mentor. Um, I got to work with him again back in Savannah. He's in his late fifties now and he still does all their alignments. 90% of their suspension work. And he's a freak of nature. I'm not going to lie. He's a freak of nature, but that's not where I want to go with my career. I've learned that I'm smart up here and I'm smarter up here than I am right here in my hands. So it's, it's, yeah. it's a good thing. And having all the training opportunities, um, I, I'm not going to go too in depth with it because I don't want to make this like a Christian brothers commercial. <laughs> but it's they've got some but you're happy where you're at i'm very happy where i'm at um i'm not going anywhere i'm seeing the effects of the technician shortage um i i know when i got hired on here with them it was the highest amount i had ever been offered before in my life um i never thought i would make it to this point in my life but i had a lot of support from great people and I hope that the younger technicians will look around and see that the support is out there. I mean, I'm jealous of what the younger technicians have. I remember when the best tools you could buy were off the tool truck. I'm jealous that they can order stuff off the internet. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Do a little price comparison right in their <sighs> pocket. Jeez. I'm jealous of the fact that we had to wait for an advanced auto part or some part store class that really wasn't a very good class to begin with. They're trying to sell you something oh, more than anything. Yes. Yep. I've been to plenty of those. Oh, I took, I, and you, you don't have, I took one class that was put on by a part supplier and I learned mm -hmm. that the reason we ever have any issue with this one manufacturer is because we don't use that manufacturer's parts Yeah, to the point to the point where the whole reason with the 6.0 diesel injectors is because we don't use their parts. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names, but you yeah, can read between the lines and figure out who I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure people can figure it out. Yeah, I, I've been to those classes. Those are, it, yeah. I feel like you waste your evening. Uh, you want you want something good out of it if you're going to spend time outside of work to go to training. Um, but yeah, nowadays kids have scanner danner oh. and uh count countless other youtube channels and online options i mean i like the in-person training better but you know for for a kid that doesn't have much money or free time or ability just to pick up watch some paul danner stuff or bernie thompson or somebody on youtube yeah. I, I was oh, killed yeah. for that when I oh. was that age, you know. Well, whenever whenever we were here at Fort Hood and my wife was still active duty, we were coming up to the slow time of year. 
and I wasn't happy where I was working at. My wife got sent to training in Virginia and we had our one-year-old son, our, our firstborn son. And mm-hmm. my wife said, hey, look, time's getting slow. Why don't you, it, it was about September. My wife said, well, why don't you just come to Virginia for four months? You know, we had enough in savings. We had enough in reserves. She was like, just take four months off and come out of Virginia. She wanted to spend time with our son. I wanted to spend time with her. And our only question was, well, what are you going to do for four months? And I kind of looked at the situation. I said, I'll watch Paul Danner videos. And (laughs) that's, I mean, I literally took a whole Paul Danner class in four months. Um, I I ordered, (laughs) I ordered his ebook. I studied it and that actually set me on a pathway of, you know, learning how systems work. And I find that to be, um, a very good foundation to me eventually getting my ASE master cert. Um, yeah, it, it was a great foundation. Um, the, and the fact that I emailed him a question and he responded and, that kind of goes into my funny Super Saturday story was I got there a day early to Super Saturday and okay. my kids were tired. It was nap time and I had been speaking with David Wagner through instant message and I was like, well, why don't I just come there and help you all set up? So I went to the I went to the location and started helping them set up the classrooms. Well, of course, I'm setting up the classroom, and here comes the train by tech guys. Tommy was there. Bren Klein was there. Um, Rich Falco was there. I mean, there was quite a few of them. And I immediately turned into little schoolgirl fanboy. <laughs> These were the guys I watched on the internet, and I could not talk to them. I just... I, I mean, I immediately a little starstruck. Oh, abs starstruck is a minor statement. <laughs> and then, so I remember the train by tech guys, they were setting up and Chris Groff was over there and I'm like, I'm not, I can't even go over there. That's yeah. It was, it was a total Wayne's world moment. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> and, um, yeah, no, I, I know the feeling, man, for sure. And then the next day, I'm walking through the event and there's Paul Danner and I'm just like, all I could do was shake his hand and just tell him that I had watched his videos and how much they meant to me. Um, and of course I'm seeing Mario. I'm, I mean, I, I said, Hey to Mario. Cause I've been watching him on YouTube. I said, Hey, to, uh-huh. I said, Hey to Cody. Cause I'd ordered the Delta pressure sensors. You know, I'd, I'd emailed with him a few times and I was, now getting to meet him and my second class, I'm sitting next to Ivan from Pine Hollow Diagnostics. And I'm just like, holy cow, that's Ivan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember looking over at his book and every time he took notes, I was like, I better write that down too. It must be important. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. All the, all the technology and, networks and we we have to share now that you can even you can be aware of these people because go back 20 30 years and you could be in the same class the same people and you wouldn't know who any of them were because they didn't have a youtube or a website or uh whatever it might be Uh, but you get to connect now with people all over the country 
that you would you'd almost never meet or be close friends with otherwise and now you can you can just share this connection right we're mm-hmm. nerds for cars and we're we're all we're all friends because of it now mm-hmm. even though we're hundreds of or thousands of miles away from one another i i think that's that's so cool it's so cool uh it's a good thing about technology <laughs> well 10 years ago i remember if you ran into a problem on a car you called somebody on your cell phone and you prayed that they had run into the same issue before yeah and you were you were up the creek without a paddle if you went through all your contacts and nobody had a direction for you and send it to the dealer. Yeah, send it to the dealer. Hopefully you're not the dealer. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember those days. And to get to go to like ASA Florida Foundations, I mean, Mario was there. I took Brandon Steckler's pressure waveform acquisition class. And then to after class, here I am hanging out with Bryn and Brandon just BSing. And I'm like, holy cow, these people eat food. <laughs> these people actually like they have to drink water i mean i did not know that i i thought they were <laughs> it goes back to the whole wayne's world i'm not worthy <laughs> and to actually get to hear them talk about you know training and teaching and it kind of gave me a new perspective and i hate to say this but it kind of gave me a new outlook on the career of my career choice um yeah it's really made me start considering looking into training new technicians. Um, it's something I would like to do. It's something I've kind of started practicing by writing course, by writing a snap on okay. oscilloscope course um, to awesome. s- just to see where I could take that. Um, maybe get an opportunity to teach that at some point. Um, I remember coming up in the industry, realizing that guys just basically worked on cars and then eventually, you know, they got old enough. They didn't work on cars anymore. They maybe worked at cars on their home time and, you know, and then later on in life they died. You know, that's, that's, that was the life of a technician. Now I'm seeing this as an industry, you know, there's more to it than just fixing cars. There's so many companies out there like, um, oh, um, gosh, that just help with technical support. Um, mm-hmm. uh, take, for example, Christian Brothers has its own technical support group that if I run into okay. an issue, I can shoot them a request on a forum and they can, they'll contact me back. Um, teaching, training, seeing guys like PJ, who not only is a master Toyota tech, but now he's getting into teaching. Um, yep. Cody, Cody, who's now um, moderating some of the some of the CTI classes, wouldn't be surprised to see him start teaching a few. Um, yep, it's interesting. Is I'm starting to see a longer a longer longevity for the technicians that put in the effort. They have more options too, more directions that you can you can take your career than. Uh, yeah, was was obvious or present before. Mm-hmm. Um, One benefit of being back in my home whenever mm-hmm. my wife got stationed back there was I got to go back to my private school that I graduated from <laughs> towards the bottom of the class um, and do career day. So I, okay. I got to talk to high school juniors and seniors and my area of expertise were the trades. 
Um, I got information from electricians. I got information from plumbers um, to kind of show that there is another pathway besides college. There's, there's a great pathway besides college. And the main thing I was talking to them about the automotive industry is the automotive industry is not just the guys that put their hands on cars underneath the hood. There's a whole journalism side to it. There's a technical side to it. There's a teaching side to it. Um, there's so many more avenues that I like to tell people the auto, I'm part of the automotive industry. And that doesn't just mean I'm a technician. There's more to it. And I don't even like to consider myself a technician. I like to consider myself as a technician because I do fix cars. But I also like to teach, even just teaching my service riders what I'm talking about. Um, mm -hmm. Teaching the younger technicians. I like to consider myself an instructor in that area. And I can tell you, younger technicians, if you can't explain it properly to your service rider, do not expect them to be able to sell it. So take right. take the time to understand the system. So not just that you're better, but that you can also teach others. And that's how you leave your legacy. You know, you with your podcast, dude, that's another avenue in this industry. Yeah. I, I, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's helping somebody. And like you said earlier, you know, if it helps one person, like if, if it somehow out there changes somebody's career path, um, even a small percentage and changes their life. Hey, it, it's, it's all worth it. Right. Mm -hmm. And same message for anybody. If you got a passion and you got some knowledge to share, you could change one person's life, you know, with probably minimal effort too, right. Just anybody mm -hmm. out there, give a helping hand, some encouragement, something, and you change somebody's trajectory by 2%, right. Mm -hmm. It seems minimal but extend that out over 20 30 years and all of a sudden you're looking at a huge change in where they're headed right so do that <laughs> i mean why not why not help somebody out in this industry well the biggest thing that made one of the biggest things that made me happy in this business was about i'd say probably about five to ten years ago my disappointed parents that i'd got out of the medical side of it um, my dad was watching me scope something one day and he looked at it and he goes, that looks just like what I would watch on an EKG. And I said, well, it's kind of, it's very similar to what you would look at on an EKG. And his comment to me was, he goes, you're kind of like an emergency room doctor. And I kind of was like, well, how do you mean? He said, well, you have something come in with an unknown complaint you hook up equipment to it to look at the symptoms, you make a diagnosis, you follow that diagnosis path, and you see where it leads you. And it tells you whether you need to do more testing or you've found the cure. And he goes, it now makes sense what would have made you good as a doctor has now made you good as a technician. And he actually told me that he was proud of the pathway I took. Uh, my mom sits back and goes, wow, you make more money than I did as a nurse. <laughs> and my and my wife says I actually go to more continuing ed than she does. <laughs> so and she's a nurse. So it worked wow. it works out it worked out in the long run. They kind of look at it and say, well, you know, maybe college wasn't for you. And you but I did in the long run find my pathway. And the other piece of advice that I give them is cut through the daily BS. That's just noise. 
It's not part of the process. If you enjoy what you're doing, you will outwork the next person. You will push yourself farther and you will enjoy doing it daily. If you ever start to get bored, dude, look around. There's other ways to get motivated. Super Saturday was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, Dude, it lit a fire under me like I had never seen before, like nobody in my personal life had ever seen before. Um, I mean, I came back from Super Saturday and I was just like, it was like a rejuvenation. I mean, it was so great. Mm-hmm. So now I'm planning on Super Saturday this year, Vision, okay. and then Vision in March. Because I figure, come off that six-month high and then catch another one. <laughs> yeah you just keep keep chasing that high right <laughs> yeah um well i will i will uh, most likely see a vision um for sure that's that's on my list of uh training events to hit within the next next uh 24 months or 12 months or so well, uh, well one more thing yes one of the reasons i've got to where i've got and probably where you've got and where any of these guys that are going to see anybody on YouTube have gotten is because they never stopped asking why they never just put that part on because, well, nine out of 10 times that fixes the problem and we move on. They wanted to know Mm -hmm. why does that fix the problem? And then they wanted to dig deeper into that system and they wanted to understand that system. And I tell you what, the ones that have kicked my butt the worst are the systems I now know like the back of my hand better than anything I have ever known. Um, I had a, I had a truck a couple weeks ago with a four wheel drive issue. I can tell you more about the GM automatic four wheel drive system and how it works (laughs) than I probably should know. And I could probably write a book on it now, (laughs) but it was because I got my butt kicked on it and I just never stopped asking why. I I think I was just talking about Cody with that is that the, the struggle that you go through on a particular car or problem or whatever, it sucks when you're going through it hundred mm-hmm. percent. It is frustrating, especially if you're trying to make money and you got a bunch of other things to do. It, it is not fun and you're not in a good mood, but when you look back on it after you get through it, now that's a, that's a just key, not even piece, but a whole book of information in your head that you get to keep now, right? Mm-hmm. That's yours and you know it extremely well because it was beat in your head, but that's how you earn it, right? Mm-hmm. You got to go through it. You got to struggle. Um, and I try to look at it that way as much as I can right now. If I'm struggling on something like, okay, this will be worth it eventually, even though it sucks right now, you know? <laughs> but it's that's how it is. Well, and I remember the people in Denver that sent me to my first CTI class. He made the comment, if you learn one thing from the class, it was worth my money. And by the end of it, because I kept asking why and I had great support around me, that eventually I got to the point where, okay, I'm I'm retaining 50% of this. I understand 50% of what they're talking about. Okay, now I understand 75%. And I slowly started learning that. And the younger technicians, if... If you're going to training and you pick up one thing, it was worth your time. If you didn't get all the answers you wanted, I'm jealous because now there's great YouTube channels out there where you can go get that information. And then if you still haven't got the answer you want, Facebook networking. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, oh, I'm, I'm jealous of these 20 and 30 year olds. Like, I wish I had 50% of what they have yeah. at their fingertip. And it's amazing to me to see some of these younger guys that don't even realize it's out there. And I'm just like, right. You know, get out, get your head out from under the hood <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and start going out there and looking around and, you know, to get to listen to like your podcast and the, the mobile guys and what you guys go through. I mean, it's, I'm sitting here like dreading that one problem child. And I'm like, man, you guys only get called it on the problem children. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a it's an interesting gig, that's for sure. Um, all right, so one more question for you. Go for it. We wrap this up. You took a long and winding journey to get where you're at right now, and I think by based on what you were saying, you're pretty satisfied with where you're at. W- would you have changed anything uh, looking back on it? The only thing I would have changed differently was when I was working with those older guys. I wish I would have just just learn to be quiet and listen, but not, I can't totally regret that because the best lessons I learned was through trial and error, but to just stop and listen, you know, if you're working around guys that don't want to see you get better, you're in the wrong place. And if you're in the wrong place, then you need to make the change. And when you get in a good supportive shop, it will light a fire under you that you will take it to the next level. Um, Don't give up on yourself. You know, I've had days where I've practiced how to say, thank you for calling Papa John's. Can you please hold? Uh, (laughs) But don't give up. Don't give up. Just keep up the good fight and keep going and don't stop. Don't stop asking why, you know. Don't stop asking why. Don't don't stop learning. Um, gosh, I, I mean, I could write a book on all the little lessons I've learned. Um, you know, one motto I have in my life is if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. You teach a man to fish, he eats for life. And yep. the reason behind that motto is if somebody's just going to give you a little bit of money to stagnate your career it's not worth it just keep pushing keep pushing and you will get you will get somewhere um so don't don't give up just don't give up the information's out there you can find it and thank you to facebook the technician groups that you can ask the questions and not be not feel like you're an idiot yeah I mean, thank you, Mario. Thank you, Cody. Thank you to all the other guys that have put the, uh, together the great Facebook groups. Um, gosh, I mean, thank you, younger guys, for uh, making the <laughs> making the road better for some of us older guys. I mean, I hate to say at 40, yeah. I'm old, but yeah, I'm now the older guy at the shop. <laughs> and awesome. Cool. Well- Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on here and discuss how I came around. Oh, for sure. I, I appreciate you taking the time to share your story. That's, uh, that's important for people to hear. So, yeah, thank you very much. 
All right. That's going to do it for today's episode. I want to thank Ben again for coming on the show with me and sharing his story with me and everyone else. I also want to thank you for listening to the show. Really appreciate it. And hopefully everybody's getting uh, some value out of the podcast. But other than that, we're going to wrap it up. So let's get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.